Today on the podcast, we're talking about Varsity Blues. Not the movie, but the college bribery scandal. A few of the parents caught up in it, tried to fight their charges, and failed. Or did they? Let's find out. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So, hey, do you remember Operation Varsity Blues, the federal investigation into college admissions bribery? If you do, you probably remember when the indictments were unveiled and how they implicated some relatively famous Hollywood actors. Actresses Lori Loughlin and Felicity Huffman are two of the dozens of wealthy parents accused in the alleged scheme. Prosecutors say that some of them paid millions to get their children into elite schools like Yale, Stanford, and the University of Southern California. The university's claim... Well, that was over two years ago. Since then, most of the parents involved have entered guilty pleas, but a few haven't. Two of those parents who didn't plea went to trial, and their trial ended earlier this month with convictions. So what's the story here, that it's usually a bad idea to fight a federal charge? Actually, no. Pat Hurtado is a Bloomberg News courts reporter who's been covering the Varsity Blues cases from the outset, and she says these parents who were found guilty earlier this month may have some strong arguments to make if and when they go before an appeals court. Pat joins us today to talk about some of these potential appellate issues, and I started off by asking her how the Varsity Blues operation began. Well, it all started with uh, an L.A. financier, his name is Maury Tobin, and he gets arrested um, on securities fraud charges for a stock case by the FBI in Boston. They bring him in for a proffer session, and he starts confessing to all his crimes, which included uh, getting his daughter into Yale as a purported tennis player through a what he t- said was a corrupt coach. Um, the guy's name is Rudy Meredith. The feds call Rudy Meredith in and they find out that he's working with this guy, Rick Singer, who turns out to be the mastermind of this sprawling case of fraud, test taking, test cheating, test fixing, as well as bribing uh, coaches. So, so that's interesting. It wasn't really like the FBI was said, like, you know, uh, higher education bribery is a big issue. We need to start looking into it. It was more like they stumbled upon this by accident, and then it just kind of unfolded organically almost. Yeah, it did. And um, I talked to the U.S. attorney uh, that led the – he was at the head of the investigation at the time. His name is Andrew Lelling. He's now a partner at Jones Day. And he told me that they came to a decision. They could have done a discrete case with basically – one coach and maybe a parent implicating Singer and maybe done a sting and they would have had a very small case that would have been against Singer and maybe a couple of parents that were his victims or his clients as he as the government calls them. Um, what they decided to do was go big with a big splashy case and I guess the argument there is deterrent that if more and more parents were getting charged they're super famous um, this wanton disregard for uh, truthfulness in the college application process, they decided to go big and send a big message to parents, beware. You better not try to pull this off. Well, they certainly did go big. Um, and, uh, you know, that might be one of the reasons why it's more than two years since this became public and there are still loose ends that haven't been resolved. Um, why are there still, you know, people who are caught up in this whose cases have not been resolved? There's still working on, you know, plea deals or, um, you know, the government is still trying to figure out what to do with them. Is this moving slowly or is this moving as 
as one would expect given the scope of this? Uh, it, it, people may think it's, it's glacial, that it's so slow because, I mean, I, I have friends and everyone that asks me, is that still going on? Why are you still going to Boston? But it is, if you think about it, scores of people were charged. I mean, at least 57 people, I'm talking coaches, test takers, school administrators, as well as 33 parents were charged in scandal. So there have been a few uh, parents that decided that this was unfair. They were wrongfully accused. Some of them say they thought it was legit and they were working for Singer, with Singer. They hired him as a legitimate counselor. Um, and so they are fighting the charges. So that's why it's taken so, so long. There's another trial coming up in November for the coaches. Um, there's a few of them hanging around that still are fighting the charges. And then there's a last group of parents, uh, two sets of parents, one in uh, January and then another in April of next year. Well, speaking of parents who want to or who are fighting the charges, let's talk about the trial that just concluded recently of two parents um, who are, were fighting the charges. Uh, they went to trial and lost. Um, tell me about these two parents, uh, what uh, the trial was like and why they didn't prevail. Um, there were two parents. There was a, a gentleman named Gamal Abdelaziz, and he was a former Wynn Resorts executive. And he had a daughter uh, who got into USC. The government said that they cheated with Singer and that she'd gone to the Hong Kong International School. And while she played basketball, she wasn't good enough to be on her high school's varsity team. And that she hadn't played in two years. And yet suddenly she's getting into Division I school at USC as a basketball player. Um, then there's a, a dad, his name is John Wilson. He is a private equity and investment executive out of Hyannis, um, Massachusetts, Hyannisport, Massachusetts. And uh, he had three kids. And the government charged that he'd done it twice. He has an uh, elder son who got into USC as a purported water polo player. And uh, he left the team in his second semester freshman year. And then two twin daughters and uh, the government says Wilson was caught on tape talking to Singer and discussing the plan of getting his two daughters into uh, Harvard and Stanford for uh, a million dollar payment to Singer. So what were their arguments and why did those arguments not uh, succeed? It, it was kind of a tangle. The defense was trying to prove a few things. They got stymied by the, by the, both by the government and the, the court limitations and rulings on the, the parents. So, I mean, the argument, the main argument for the parents was uh, USC is a very dirty place. And uh, through the work of one of the other defense lawyers, but a team effort by defense lawyers early on, um, the parents had argued they wanted to get evidence about what's going on at USC, which is, of course, John Wilson's son had been at USC. Um, and they argued that there was evidence that showed USC had this inside way of getting in. Um, it was called the VIP list. And they actually got a VIP list with all, the, it was like a spreadsheet through the years that these, uh, like these kids were supposedly going in through the system where they would say, this kid was recommended by so-and-so at USC. They got in, how much money they gave to the school and you know the fast track of this, this basically river of kids getting in. Would it be unfair to say that that's just the everyone else was doing it, so I did too, defense? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they were arguing that USC was dirty and USC had this back channel way and that they were basically using what they thought was legitimate because all those people on that 
spreadsheet and the VIP list didn't get charged. There would be people where a parent had promised $5 million, kid was a walk-on on the tennis team. Um, and there was another kid that was like on the golf team because his parents had promised $500,000. Um, there were all these titillating, the kids' names had been redacted, but there were mentions of, you know, so-and-so knows a do- is related to a Dodger or, you know, one of the LA Dodgers. Um, the parents also argued that they also were misled by Singer, that he was the con man. Uh, and, and there's no argument, I think, even from the government that this guy wasn't dirty. I mean, he was basically saying, telling every parent anything and that there were parts of the wiretap where he had said, um, it's a donation. And then later on, after he started cooperating, he changed his story and it became a bribe. And um, the parents were arguing they were duped by Singer. Right. Well, and I want to look ahead now because um, the as you in your uh, own reporting, uh, the attorney for Abdelaziz has already said that he's going to appeal this conviction. Um, and it sounds like Singer's uh, veracity uh, or his trustworthiness is going to be a central issue at the appeal. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. What I was going to say is that one thing the government did, which was – you know, they were playing to win. Um, the parents argue they weren't playing fair, but the government cabined their case. So they eliminated Singer from this this trial. Uh, everyone expected, I mean, he's the mastermind. He's really dirty. And the parents were basically just waiting to, the defense lawyers are going to tear him to shreds because he had issues with his veracity, including he had taken notes well, he had started cooperating where he said the FBI agents want me to tell a parents a lie. And there were all these notes that made it sound like he was being uh, steered into misleading the parents. Yeah. And didn't you didn't you also didn't you say in your story that he also tipped some of the parents off that he was being investigated and, you know, um, deleted some text messages like this is some shady stuff. We're talking 1,500 text messages deleted from his phone. So whatever those said, the parents were arguing, hey, that might be exculpatory evidence. So when the government took him out of the equation, all of a sudden you had the parents fighting against a a ghost or, you know, he was a straw man and there was no... And so as a result of him not testifying, suddenly a lot of other evidence the parents had had, if they could have confronted Singer, had he taken the stand, was off limits. So included, there was a Starbucks video where Starbucks executives had invited uh, Singer to talk to their executives. And Singer is telling these amazing stories about, oh, I, I told Bill and Melinda Gates, I advised them how to get their kids into college. As if. <laughs> yeah, I I, th- I think Bill and Melinda Gates' kids don't need that much help to get into whatever college they want to get into, right? Right. And um, he was like all these wild stories that he claimed that he was helping every NFL player and every NBA player get their kids into college. And, oh, everybody knows me and loves me. So he's dropping names. And one assumes that this videotaped interview, you know, uh, speech that Singer gave, imagine how that would have gone over before the jury, because here's this guy telling these similar stories the parents probably likely heard in the big cell he was giving them. They never got to hear that. And so what the judge did is he, he restricted a lot of the evidence the parents tried to bring in, so that USC evidence didn't come in about all these extra side 
people who got in. The judge said USC's not on trial. A lot of the extraneous evidence tied to Singer and his scams on the side. Apparently, at one point, Singer was paying um, tuition for one of the coaches for his kids. You know, all this extraneous stuff came in, which was very difficult to them. So they've actually already filed a motion for acquittal. Um, And they say they also would like a new trial and they're on a host of grounds. So um, the defense has already started up to try to convince this judge. Now, obviously, they're making a record because they haven't had much success before the the court. Wow. Um, When you talk to attorneys who work on these kinds of cases, and I say that lightly because there aren't a lot of cases that are like this. So there aren't a lot of probably a lot of attorneys who have uh, experience with exactly this kind of thing. But when you talk to attorneys who know how this works, do they think that um, these convictions are going to stand? Do they think that the government's made its case or that this could be overturned later on? Um, there's many challenges that people have, have cited to me. I guess one of the main charges is theft of honest services, mail fraud, wire fraud. And some courts have, can, have said that that's such a, uh, uh, a broad charge that anybody could get convicted of anything. They've also said that it's extraordinarily unusual. One of the things that I was kind of surprised to see the government put into evidence and was not limited by, the the judge didn't limit it, um, they called a dad who testified about his experiences with Singer. His name is Bruce Isaacson. He was a Northern California businessman. He and his wife both, both pled guilty. And they went into, what were you thinking? Why did you do this? What's your state of mind? And the judge said it was appropriate to, and the government argued, you could see what the the defendant's state of mind was based on what you heard Bruce Isaacson say about his state of mind. And some of the, I mean, the defense lawyers argued that this should have never been allowed in because you you can't attribute what another witness's state of mind is to impugn what what exactly the defendants were thinking at that time so they that's they think that's a very big avenue um there's an avenue they've challenged on venue that this case had nothing to do with boston and basically they invited singer to boston to make the phone calls from a hotel and then he did it for the government so that the wiretaps are made out of boston now one of the arguments of course john wilson lives in hyannisport massachusetts so you know, that's not necessarily the same. I see. All right. Well, t- taking a big step back, um, what do you think ultimately the impact of Operation Varsity Blues is going to be like five, 10 years down the road? I mean, do you think that this is really going to change the way that higher education works or that, uh, you know, bribery cases work? Like, is this going to be a, a landmark that people look back on? Or do you think that after you know, this is an aberrant case, and that it will go back to sort of business as usual after this is all the dust is settled. Um, I think that that's a kind of a two part answer. I think that if you're wealthy and you have a means of trying to get your kid into school and you think you got an edge, I think that many parents will continue doing it as long as they skirt the law, you know, skirt the corners of the law. You know, if people are crazy about trying to get their kids into the right schools, and so it's never going to. Qu- quell that kind of urgency these parents feel. Um, I think parents might think twice about trying to use a guy like this. I mean, somebody was saying to me that Singer was an extraordinary person, that he had so many clients. I mean, hundreds of clients, and he was 
kind of, you know, manic about his efforts. So, and, and he built up a network, sort of this underground network that was, he could tap into. Somebody was saying he had soccer coaches, tennis coaches, water polo coaches, um, crew coaches, sailing coaches. I mean, imagine those sports. I mean, anybody who played tennis, or I played tennis in college, and I wanted to be on the tennis team, but I couldn't get on as a walk-on, you know, but Singer had this, these, these avenues. So I think that somebody like Singer might be kind of out of the picture for a while and may try to think, you know, people are going to try to find a new way of getting in. Um, one thing I, I also think is everybody I talk to that, that has heard of this case, everyone's like, oh, this is the case with the famous actresses, Lori Loughlin and, and Felicity Huffman and how it really, what it said. I mean, so, uh, I, I mean, uh, that may have a deterrent effect on p- other parents who say, you know, I'm not Felicity Huffman, I don't have that much money, I don't have that much power, but, you know, let's, let's follow the law. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, well, that was uh, Pat Hurtado speaking to us from New York, New York, uh, about the Varsity Blues case. Uh, Pat, thank you so much. This was really, really fascinating. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Cheryl Sines, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Reach out to us on Twitter if you have anything on your mind. We use the handle at BLaw. That's B as in Brian Robbins, who was, of course, the director of the 1999 film Varsity Blues. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. This is Adam Ellington, and I'm here to announce a new season of Uncommon Law, a narrative podcast series from Bloomberg Law. My co-hosts and I will speak with African-American attorneys and hear their perspectives on how big law is, or in some cases, isn't adapting to become more diverse and inclusive. It's not fair, but what can be better than being on the front lines of helping to make this country better for all of us? If not us, who? If not now, when? Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts.